You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's show is brought to you by Love Pop. Want to know what that is? <laughs> Unlock special pricing for five or more cards and get free shipping on any order by going to lovepop.com forward slash brain. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am your host, personal empowerment coach, Paul Coliani. I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult your physician or therapist or whoever you use before making any changes to your medical treatment. All right, the first topic I want to talk about has to do, well, it's an email, but it's about love and love lost and how someone views the world maybe after this lost love. And I want to talk about the thinking that we have after maybe a major event in our lives or just a thought process that we've always had all our lives. And I like to call these the general lies that we tell ourselves. You know, generalize. <laughs> when we generalize. So yes, it's a play on words. We generalize a lot, or at least some of us do. I've been known to do it. And if you've ever said, well, nobody would want that, or everyone would want that, like everyone would want to be rich, or no one would want to be in poverty, or everyone would want to be happy and healthy and with someone they love, or no one this or everyone that, those are generalizations. Those are, uh, you know, dichotomous thinking. And when you think dichotomously, it's an all or nothing thought process. And that all or nothing thought process can lead to uh, behaviors and emotions in you that may or may not serve you. Talk about dichotomous thinking. <laughs> those thought processes may or may not serve you. And it's good to be aware of your, uh, what therapists call uh, cognitive distortions. And those cognitive distortions, there are many, but one of them is the generalizations that we tend to uh, assume about our lives, about people, about the world in general. For example, I have a family member who uh, suffers or has suffered from anxiety for quite a bit of time. And he believes that the world is a bad place. And that is a huge, huge generalization. I've heard this from other people too. The world is a bad place. The world is a terrible place. The world is a scary place. And uh, I like to find out where they get this information. Usually it's the news. Usually it's their Facebook feed. Or usually it's something else. And uh, they are getting all this information when there's news. It's bad news. So that must mean the world is a bad place. 
After all, I hear about bad news every day, so I never hear about the good news. You know, that goes to wherever you put your attention, you're going, you're going to see more of what you're looking for. If you're looking for the good news stories, you'll find them. If you pay attention to mainstream media, you'll hear the sensationalized versions of everything. Uh, and sometimes it's not sensationalized. Sometimes it's just what happens in the world and what gets the most ratings. That's what you're going to hear most of. But in my experience, you know, from my everyday living life, living in the world, I go to the supermarket and 99% of the people are fine, friendly. The cashiers are fine, friendly. <laughs> the uh, people in the parking lot are fine and friendly. And I have this experience just in everyday life. And I don't experience uh, typically the negativity that someone else might experience who goes out and tries to get a parking spot, but somebody grabs it before they do, uh, and then finally gets into the supermarket and they're wrestling with a cart that uh, has a broken wheel. <laughs> and then uh, they go to uh, the deli and they don't have the right um, ham or cheese or they, you know, they, they have a bad experience here and there uh, throughout the day and suddenly the world is a terrible place. And we've all had those kinds of days. Uh, it's just that some people might see that as every day my life sucks because I had that one experience, which reinforces the last time I had that one experience a week and a half ago. So that means every day must be awful. So those, that's a generalization. Those are the general lies we tell ourselves. And when we tell ourselves these generalizations and we believe them, our world changes. We perceive the world differently. So the reason I'm talking about generalizations is because uh, I want to segue into an email that I received that um, I believe might be a generalization. So let me read this email to you and uh, we'll see where I go with it. This one's from someone I'm going to call uh, Jill. Jill writes, Hey, Paul, thank you for your site and your podcast. They've been very helpful to me, and I've been listening nonstop while I'm at work. Uh, you're welcome. I have a question, and I will try to be succinct. All my life, I have been mostly a loner. I have had some friends, but it seems as if all my friendships and relationships have never reached a really deep level. My mom and dad were only married two years. My mom was depressed, and my dad was uh, very angry, dysfunctional, with a victim mentality. I never really received a lot of affection, and I'm not sure if I was even wanted or planned. I'll comment on, on that in a moment. My brother seemed to get better treatment, and he was not very kind to me. After I got out of high school, I met a girl, and we ended up falling for each other. We knew we were in love, and we both told each other. We were friends first, but we knew something else was going on, and after several months of definite tension and vibes, we ended up being intimate, and it was incredible. She ended up going to the service and became pregnant. So you can imagine how I felt. I'd always had distant feelings about men, but once I found her, everything made sense. After finding out she was pregnant, I pretty much felt betrayed. And for most of my life, I've had a hard time trusting men and women. I guess people in general. I don't wear it on my sleeve, and I'm still aware that there are good and bad people in the world of both sexes, but for some reason it feels like I've been walking around in my life never really connecting to anyone on a deep level. I rarely see anyone who interests me, 
but when I think back to the gal I fell in love with all those years ago, I still have feelings for her. Almost like she ruined it for me, and after her I've never been interested in anyone since, even though I have tried. Sometimes I walk around in life and uh, people seem like artificial intelligent computer characters in a video game. It's weird. I just wish I could connect on a deeper level with just one person. I know I have a lot to offer. I just feel like an alien most of the time, and I am alone most of the time. I don't feel so much alone when I listen to you because a lot of the ways you explain how you feel I can relate to, like being a people pleaser and worried about what people think of you. My question is, why do I always feel this odd hostility when I'm out in the world? My wish is that I could know what it feels like to love people, but I mainly feel like when people see me, I can feel this underlying hostility. I know it's not true with everyone, and I feel, especially now knowing what you teach about it being something inside of me that hasn't been expressed, I need to get to the root of the problem, but I don't quite know how yet. I'm listening closely to what you're teaching, though, and it makes a lot of sense to me. It's just confusing, and, and even though I'm a relatively happy and grateful person, there seems to be something in me that is still not resolved, and it has something to do with people. I guess that's why I started out mentioning that I felt betrayed by men and women, like nobody was safe after that final betrayal by the person who claimed to love me. Anyway, I hope you can make sense of all this, lol. <laughs> Thank you for all you do, Paul. You are my companion now, haha. <laughs> I love to listen to your talk. It's almost like I have a pseudo-dad teaching me things that my real dad should have when I was a kid. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks for listening. Jill. Okay, Jill, uh, thank you for sharing all of that. And that's a you know, tough situation. You fell in love and then the person you love left and had a child with someone else or became pregnant. I don't know if she had a child or not, but she became pregnant and uh, that was the betrayal. And that's, uh, that hurts. So I can imagine. Now, I led into this uh, email with the talk of generalizations. And in your message, you, you talk about generalizations in a way. You actually admit that um, there are good and bad people in the world of both sexes, but you also feel uh, pretty much betrayed and had a hard time trusting men and women. So, you know, if I were to look at this as a generalization, what is the generalization? The generalization to me is I can't trust anyone. And I think you need to look at that within yourself. I can't trust anyone. And what does that mean? To me, that means like if I were to try on being you, I would say I can't trust anyone because when I fall in love, I am betrayed. And if I am betrayed, I don't like that feeling because I gave you my heart and soul and I put all my faith in you and my trust in you and I wanted to feel safe with you and then you betrayed me and I don't feel safe anymore. Now, So now I might develop a generalization that if I put my heart and soul into a relationship, there's a chance that my heart will get crushed. So I will go around in the world not trusting and not being able to be that vulnerable again because if I'm that vulnerable, pain is inevitable. So that's my assumption. You know, if I were to generalize your <laughs> message, that's my assumption about your message is that you walk around not feeling like you can trust anyone at least in a romantic nature, from my own assumption. And uh, if you trust, it brings pain because trust leads to betrayal. So before I address that, 
uh, I want to address a couple things in your letter. Like one of the things that you said is, I never really received a lot of affection, and I'm not sure that I was even wanted or planned. Now, my story with that is that my dad told me, uh, I don't know when, like 20 years ago, he said, um, I have two older sisters. He said, you were the first birth that your mom and I planned. And I was like, really? And he said, yep. He said, the other two were just accidents. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. And uh, at that time, it didn't, I don't remember it making me feel special, but it was an interesting tidbit to me, I guess. So uh, he told me that. And so I believed that for years until I talked to my mom. (laughs) And I said, mom, dad said that I was the only one that was planned. I forget what we were talking about. And he said that, you know, my older sisters were not planned. And she started cracking up. (laughs) And she's like, he said that? And I was like, yeah. And my mom said, no, you were a complete accident, just like the other two. (laughs) And I was like, really? And she said, yes. I don't know what he's saying or why he's saying that. But no, you weren't planned. And you just happened just like the other two. So... I had uh, that information now, that tidbit of information that, uh, you know, I didn't really have to process because I didn't go one way or the other with it. I didn't think, oh, I wasn't planned. Oh, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm not a good person, that I'm not worthy, that I'm not this, that I'm not that? I didn't go there. And I'm not saying that it's you know, you're bad for going there or it was wrong to go there. I'm just, you know, exploring this in myself, wondering why I didn't go there. And I think for me, when I think about when someone has a child, it's 50%, you know, it's either planned or it's not planned. You know, you have a 50% chance of being planned or not. But who you are isn't who you were then because you didn't exist. So for someone to say that you weren't planned or maybe that you weren't even wanted, when I hear that, like if somebody said that to me, like you weren't planned and you weren't even wanted, that doesn't bother me because I didn't exist at all. Now that I exist, if my mom said, I wish I'd never had you, then that would hurt. And I know people have heard those words, unfortunately, but yes, that would hurt. Because now she knows me. She's had me and she knows me. And now her saying, I wish I had never had you. That's an entirely different story. That's when I believe you're, you have every right to feel bad and process. And now you have some emotional wounds that you got to deal with. And that's a very real pain. But uh, for you to be stuck on maybe... Uh, you were never planned and you were never wanted. She didn't even know who you were going to be. So I'm not giving your mom an excuse or any leniency here, but at the same time, I I guess I am. (laughs) I mean, the idea that you weren't planned or wanted is just a statistic. It doesn't diminish who you are today. It doesn't diminish your worth, your importance, your value that you bring to everyone that you meet, we all bring value to each other in some way, shape, or form. But to be at all stuck on, 
You know, I wasn't sure if I was planned or wanted. Uh, I just don't want you to be stuck there. And, and you're not saying you are. I, I, I don't want to misinterpret this because all you really said was that you never received a lot of affection. So I assume you're tying that to not being planned or wanted. And it's very possible. It's very possible because you weren't planned or wanted. They still made the choice to conceive whether they wanted to conceive or not because they did the act and then you arrived and they could have not had you. They could have uh, put you up for adoption. There could have been uh, so many other factors, but they decided to stick it out because they made the commitment. They had you and they made the commitment. I'm not here to make you feel like uh, they really loved you and they did everything they could for you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when I look at a situation where the baby, quote, isn't wanted, wasn't planned, yet the parents still take care of the child. They still feed the child. There is that commitment, even at the most basic level, even if there's no like real attachment to the child, tells me that at least they were there to help the baby survive, even though that may not sound like a loving, nurturing environment. I am grateful that my mom was there to help me survive, to get to a point where I could go off on my own, you know, raising that fledgling. Did I want more love? Did I need more love? Yes. Did I want more hugs? Probably. My mom is not a hugger. (laughs) I really had trouble hugging people. Uh, And I still do, I think. I still think I have trouble hugging some people because it's not something I grew up with. I mean, I have no problem hugging. It's not a big deal. It's not like I get freaked out about it. It's just that I don't have this huge desire to go up to someone and hug them because I wasn't exposed to it when I was a kid. So could she have hugged me and would that have changed who I was? Would I be more of a hugger if that happened? Probably. So we look at uh, what what happened in childhood and we see how that could be something that changed us today. So if you didn't receive a lot of affection, it may have had an effect on you to where you're seeking more affection. You want to be with someone more because you didn't receive enough affection as a child. I mean, that's a psychological theory is that whatever you didn't receive enough of as a child, you're seeking it as an adult and looking for fulfillment that way. So when you finally received that fulfillment from that girl you met and it was taken away in the form of betrayal, that was a deep pain. And that deep pain probably built a defensive wall up for you. And now when you see people that are kind to you, you equate it with that deep pain, maybe at the most basic, indirect, unconscious level. But it's probably there. But let me go back to uh, some generalizations like in my life. For example, my girlfriend asked me, you know, every woman that you've been with has left you. And, and I said, yep. <laughs> and she goes, doesn't that scare you? How, how can you possibly give your heart in a relationship knowing that's probably going to happen? And, you know, I don't think she said that because that would imply that she was going to leave. But it makes me think that she's trying to uh, explore the reason I get into a relationship if it ends up being, you know, a failure or whatever. And I told her, and I think I've said this on the show before, 
I get into the relationship because I want to enjoy the day-to-day experience of having someone in my life, of sharing my life with someone else. And I said, I don't think about when we're going to break up. I don't think about when she's going to leave me or when you're going to leave me. I think about how great is it today and how can I make it better? It's very present moment thinking, but it frees me from any attachment to any previous pain because I can look at my past relationships and see how great they were until they weren't. And it reminds me of that episode of Sliders, like the 80s TV show, where they went to this alternate reality and they met uh, the alternate parallel main star, I think his name is Quinn, uh, and the first Earth Quinn asked the second parallel Earth Quinn, how can you just automatically trust everything I'm saying? Because that's what was happening. He was saying, hey, I'm from an alternate universe. And the other Quinn was like, okay, that makes sense. Let's move forward. And he goes, you just trust me out of the blue? And he goes, of course. I trust people until they give me a reason not to. And that really stuck with me. Why not trust people until they give you a reason not to? Why not enjoy the relationship you have today until there's a reason not to. And so I've had that philosophy, and I think it's a very healthy philosophy. It doesn't mean that I don't stay aware or observant of red flags or potential problems. You know, I still have that preventative maintenance program going on inside of me just in case things start going bad. I don't live in ignorant bliss. I just enjoy what I have because here it is today, And of course, having a secondary philosophy of if the world ends tomorrow, then how am I treating the people I'm with today and how am I experiencing life today? So again, it's very present day, present moment thinking, and um, it has helped me. But another aspect of my philosophy is that um, I don't generalize that every woman will leave me. Yes, it's happened to me and I have... Reference after reference after reference that every person I've been with has left me, but I don't make it into a generalization. I just assume that the next person won't. Again, it's not denial or ignorant bliss. It's just that I'm always on personal growth mode. And in personal growth mode, you learn from your previous relationships. You learn from your lessons. You learn from your previous failures. And if you learn from your previous failure, then Every time you get into a similar situation, you take those lessons into the situation and you don't make the same mistakes. So I feel like as long as I'm growing, then I won't need to generalize anything. And it's very helpful because I don't have a negative uh, outlook of everything that's going on in my life because I have a lot of negative references. That's the same way I felt about um, my car when I had um, a 99 Chrysler Concorde at one time. And um, my girlfriend's like, you got to get rid of that. (laughs) And I'm like, why? She said, because it's a nightmare. You just keep pouring money into it. You bring it to the garage. Every time you bring it to the garage, you spend $1,000 and add a new part or a new something. And I said, yeah, but every new part I add, the longer it lasts. And, you know, I was right (laughs) until it died. And it did die. That was the car that broke down in the desert. And I was 1,000 miles from home with no way to get home. It finally did die. But it didn't die every day before I used it. It was failing in small areas, and I just did my maintenance on it and kept it going. 
but I didn't focus on the day it was going to die. I just focused on what I needed to do to keep it alive. So that was my philosophy then. That's sort of my philosophy today. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning it to you, Jill, is because of this generalization that you might carry around about uh, the trust or the distrust that you have about people. Because the people in your life may have made you feel this way. That doesn't mean everyone's going to be this way. It's just your perception of people. So this is affecting you in a way where you may be closing yourself off to people so that you don't feel pain. Which leads me into a second point I want to make. And I'll make that second point right after this. When I heard about Love Pop and how they wanted to sponsor an episode of The Overwhelmed Brain, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was like, what's Love Pop? <laughs> so for fun, I waited to see what arrived in the mail. I was very surprised to find out that not only do I now love Love Pop, but they just solved a bunch of holiday challenges for me. I had no idea what I was going to send my loved ones over the holidays until Love Pop came along. Now I know exactly what I'll be sending. I know what you're thinking. What did you get? What is Love Pop? Well, I'm here to tell you what they are and why you'll want to get them for someone you love. Love Pop is something that you may have heard of on Shark Tank, that entrepreneur show. What Love Pop does is create laser cut cards and invitations. Started by a couple ship designers, these cards are more intricate than anything I've ever seen in a greeting card. Have you ever seen those uh, pop-up books? You turn the page and there's a house popping up out of the book. Well, think of that except executed at laser level intricacy and detail. I mean, one of the cards I received had a dragon popping out of it and it was intense. I gave it to my girlfriend and she loved it, immediately putting it on display on the mantle. That's one thing you'll notice when you give these cards. They're gifts in and of themselves, not necessarily just a card that comes with a gift. People who you give these cards to won't want to throw them away. They'll see that they're really works of art and a real eye-catcher and conversation starter. Another one of the cards I received was um, the cover of the Beatles album, Abbey Road. I opened it up and there it was in 3D. Since the first time I saw that album as a kid, I saw John, Paul, Ringo. Who's the other guy? Tony? No, George. <laughs> Yes, sorry, Beatles fans. Uh, George, and I saw them in a walking position, standing straight up and out of my card. I mean, how cool is that? Love Pop has over 250 designs, so I bet they have the perfect card for that special person in your life. But like I said, they're more than cards. They're unforgettable gifts that you send in an envelope. Each one is laser-cut, hand-assembled, and designed to surprise and delight. So I want you to visit lovepop.com forward slash brain so that you can share the joy of the holiday season with your friends and family with a Love Pop gift. The purpose of every Love Pop is to create a moment of connection between you and the people you care about. So see why The View, Good Morning America, Forbes, 2020, The Talk, and CNN featured Love Pop on their show and get your holiday shopping done now by going to lovepop.com 
forward slash brain. By going to that specific link, you'll unlock special pricing for five or more cards and get free shipping on any order. That's lovepop.com forward slash brain to unlock special pricing when you get five or more cards and free shipping on any order. Your friends and family will love this gift. All right, we're back, and I want to continue talking about Jill's letter. And the second point I wanted to make about her letter has to do with accepting pain as an option. Now, hear me out. Uh, This goes along the same uh, philosophy of when I talk about worst-case scenario. If you're not familiar with my worst-case scenario philosophy or worst-case scenario in general, what you do is imagine something going bad. Like, for example, um, there's a guy that uh, yells at me at work, and I hate going to work because that guy yells at me. Okay, so you think, what's so bad about that? You ask yourself the question, what's bad about that? Well, when he yells at me, uh, he, he bothers me, and I, I feel a little scared because I think he's going to go off on me. I think he's going to hurt me in some way. And then you ask yourself the same question. Okay, what's so bad about that? What's so bad about what? You know, him hurting you. Well, if he hurts me, then I'll, you know... I won't be able to defend myself, and I might, um, I might end up in the hospital or, or whatever. Okay, so if you end up in the hospital, what's so bad about that? And you keep going down that line. You're like, what's so bad about that? What do you mean it's so bad about that? I'm in the hospital. Yeah, so what's so bad about that? And then you ask yourself that question, and the same line of questioning works when you say, what's worse than that? What's worse than being in the hospital? And that's where the worst case scenario comes in. Okay, what's worse than being in the hospital? Well, well, if I'm not in the hospital, I guess I could be, I don't know, paralyzed. That That's worse. And I could be home, you know, having people wait on me. Okay, so uh, what's so bad about that? Or what's worse than that? What's worse than that? I, I guess I could be dead. All right, what's so bad about that? What? <laughs> and then you start asking yourself these questions that you don't ever consider because you think dead is the you know dead is the end, but you don't really go past that point in your thought process. Okay, what if I'm dead? What's so bad about that? Well, if I'm dead, uh, 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 I won't be alive. Uh, I won't be able to experience life. Uh, I don't know. I mean, once I'm dead, there's no stress, I guess. Okay, so um, let's go back to your work situation where you feel like this person yelling at you might uh, hurt you in some way. How bad is that when you think about the worst case scenario of being dead? Well, compared to that, it's not bad at all, really. And it changes, it kind of shifts your perspective of the situation and how bad you thought it was at first isn't as worse as it could be. So, you know, this works in a lot of places. Sometimes it doesn't work. This works often for me, when I'm in a situation that I feel is uh, bad, I just go through this worst-case scenario questioning. And that, um, that questioning actually starts to build an acceptance of what's bad. And what I mean by that is if you can go through life accepting that there is bad with the good and that it could be a lot worse 
because you go through that questioning process and you figure out what is worse, suddenly you can start to enjoy life a little bit more because you're not experiencing the worst. You're going to experience bad moments. You're going to experience challenging and difficult things, but you're not experiencing the bad all the time. So for you, Jill, when you open up and you're vulnerable and any pain that might be associated with that because of your history, when that comes up, ask yourself, all right, what's so bad about that? Or another question to ask yourself is, how is that a problem? Okay, I I experience, if I'm vulnerable, then I'm worried. You know, I'm trying this on, Jill. If I'm vulnerable, then I'm worried that this person will crush my heart. Okay, how is that a problem? Well, if they crush my heart, I'll feel emotional pain, and uh, the pain will just be, I don't know, debilitating. Okay, so what's so bad about that? How is that a problem? Or what's worse than that? And you keep drilling in, and you force yourself into figuring out what's worse than that. How is that a problem? How is that a bad thing? Until you get to a point where you can't go anywhere else. Because eventually, if you say, well, if I'm crushed, I'm, and then I'm lonely. Okay, so what's so bad about being lonely? If I'm lonely, I don't feel important. I don't feel significant. I don't feel like I'm loved in this world. Okay, so what's so bad about that? What's worse than that? Well, if I'm not loved, then I, I might as well crumple up and die. Okay, so you're dead. What's so bad about that? And then you're like, huh? <laughs> Where do you go from there? You actually put yourself, you visualize that process. I mean, this is just a visualization exercise. You don't, it's all in your mind. You just go through it in your mind and see where it takes you and feel the shifts as you go through this. Because there are several layers that lead to sort of a root feeling, a root emotion. Like what you're feeling now derives from something inside of you, something you're holding on to. Otherwise, you wouldn't know that you have to feel this way. Like you wouldn't know you had to feel distrusting if it didn't have an origination in you. But because it does, you can go back to that origination by saying what's worse than that, what's worse than that, and go beyond the origination back way back in time before it ever began and get to a point where you unravel the grip of these emotions that they have on you or this dichotomous thinking like I can't trust anyone. Well, what would happen if I trust someone? Well, if I trust someone, then they could hurt me. Okay, what would happen if they hurt you? How bad is that? How is that a problem? What's worse than that? Well, if they hurt me, so on and so on and so on. It's a great process that helps you unbind you. It um, releases the very closed box uh, thought process that you might have had about something going on in your life. So I recommend you do that, Jill, is you go through this process of something that you feel that limits you in your life. Like, I can't get into a relationship because I don't want to give my heart away. Okay, so what would happen if you gave your heart away? What would happen? And then what's worse than that? What's worse than that? And you'll suddenly feel some shifts inside of you as you do this. Because I want you to get to the point of accepting that with any amount of happiness, there is sadness. With any amount of love, there is a loss of love. With any amount of anything, there's a possibility for loss. And the resistance of that possibility keeps you from being happy. The resistance of being fully in love because there's a fear of betrayal keeps you from being happy. 
So you can either hold on to that resistance, which is the fear of something, fear of loss typically, or you can accept that there could be loss and I'm okay with that and I'm going to enjoy this for everything it is today because the loss isn't happening now. The loss could happen or it may never happen. I love going through life accepting the risks because that means I can enjoy life fully today. I mean, that's all I believe life is, is you go through life accepting that there are risks. There's a risk of loss. There's a risk of death. You accept that that is part of life so that you can enjoy what there is today. I mean, I ate bad ham once. (laughs) And that bad ham, I swear, it almost killed me. I mean, I felt like I was going to die. And uh, I didn't. And I did stop ham for a little while because I didn't know what to think. And then I started eating it again because I didn't want to generalize that all ham was bad. I wanted to think that that piece of ham was bad. I get into relationships knowing that I could lose the relationship. I get into relationships knowing my partner could cheat on me. And as much as I don't want that and it would suck and I would feel hurt and betrayed, I still enjoy the day I have with them until there's a reason not to enjoy it anymore. So I know this is a lot of talk, but if you go through these processes and you become the fearless warrior in your life, you know that warrior that can walk across the emotional battlefield and with all these arrows being shot at you and you're just walking through as if you fear nothing, it's that fearlessness that allows you to enjoy life to the fullest. It might take a while to get there, but I believe life is too short to be anything but fearless. That doesn't mean I don't have fear. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I don't have worries and concerns. It just means that I don't spend my time thinking about all those worries and concerns and fears. I'm aware of what could happen if I take a wrong turn, if I let something fester for too long, or if I don't see the signs of something. But until I see those signs, I enjoy what I have to the fullest. And I hope you can too. Now, before I end this segment, I want to say a couple more things regarding your letter, Jill. Like uh, one of the things that you said was that uh, you rarely see anyone who ever interests you. But when you think back to the gal you fell in love with all those years ago, you still have feelings for her. Almost like she ruined it for me. And after her, I've never been interested in anyone Since, even though I've tried. Let me say this. A piece of your heart was taken away that day. And what was left behind is empty. I'm going to give it to you bluntly. Because that's what happens. And I can relate. I've had every woman leave. (laughs) I can relate to this. They take a piece of my heart with them. So when I think of the women in my past, they still have that piece of my heart. The person I was when I was with them left that day. A piece of me left that day. It's true. A piece of you left that day. So when you think about the person you were with and you still have feelings, it's because a piece of you is with them. I know that sounds a little out there, but uh, when you were together, you were a unit. You were as one, like a single entity. And when they left that piece of your heart left with them and left an empty space. The good news is the people that you're with in your life 
help unlock parts of you that may not have been unlocked before. When I was with my first girlfriend of 13 years, she unlocked parts of me that I didn't really understand in myself and uh, really allowed me to fall in love. And I felt wonderful. And I hadn't felt that way before. When she left, I felt like the part of me that could feel love left with her. But it wasn't true. See, a piece of my identity left that day, just like it did in every relationship. Because who I was up to that point, with her, I couldn't be the same person after she left. So I had to evolve. I had to grow from there because I learned what went wrong. I learned what failed. I learned what I could do better and what I could look for as, you know, the signs of uh, and the end of a relationship. I learned all these things. And if I had chosen to take who I was with me into my next relationship, then it would have failed the same way. So I let my first girlfriend have that part of me. And I missed that part of me because it was a part of me. And that will happen. And what you miss is how you felt when you were together. Yes, you can miss the person, but how did you feel when you were together? How did she make you feel when you were together? When you have the thought of, oh, I'll never feel that way again, it's not true because that feeling's still in you and still able to be accessed. They don't take the feelings away. They just take with them the keys that they use to unlock those parts of your heart, which feels like it's taking away parts of your heart. But when you meet someone new and you allow yourself to be vulnerable, new keys are made and those parts of your heart are unlocked and even more so. There's even more parts of you that are unlocked because now you feel different with this person and you can be a different person because you are a different person and you start fresh and now you can feel comfortable growing into yourself again because you're starting to fill that space in your heart. There has to be a rebuilding, but the rebuilding happens when you become vulnerable. So when you meet someone new, the more you begin to trust them and feel safe with them, the more you can be vulnerable with them and allow them to unlock some parts of your heart that you closed off and refill some parts of your heart that are empty. I know that's a very metaphoric way to think about it, but I believe it works because everyone knows what it feels like when your heart hurts. There's a generalization. (laughs) Everyone, most people know what it feels like to lose love. So I want you to think about how you can be grateful that the person you were with at one time helped you unlock emotions and feelings and thoughts that you may not have had otherwise. Because that came out, that's still in there. And that can come out again. It's just a matter of letting yourself be vulnerable enough to let it happen. The challenge of not wanting to be betrayed again or having pain, that's that worst case scenario stuff that may take a while to adjust and get uh, comfortable with to the point where you can accept that there might be pain in any relationship. And getting to that point may involve, you know, listening to my show, strengthening your self-worth and self-esteem, just like everything I talk about here. But that's one of the baby steps that lead to quantum leaps. 
Anyway, I think I said I had two more comments, but I think that's the only comment I have about the letter. So I'm going to end it right here, and we're going to end the show. I know this is strange. It's a one-letter show. <laughs> but uh, I talked about a lot today, and I'm actually thinking about having, and this is just off the cuff. I haven't made a commitment to this yet. I'm actually thinking about having two shorter shows a week instead of one long episode a week. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know if I'm capable of creating a shorter episode. just depends on how much I talk. And, uh, but I'm going to look into it and figure out if I can make it work. If I can make it work, then the episodes I have might be more digestible. They might be easier to search for in search engines because right now I have two or three titles, two or three topics in the title per episode. So they're a little bit challenging to find. And uh, it's easier when you're looking for one subject if they all have a single topic. So we'll see where this goes. I'm just thinking, like I said, off the cuff. We'll see what happens. But um, I'm going to wrap it up now. And when I come back, I'll say some goodbyes, my final thoughts. And I appreciate you listening. Be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Love Pop. If you want special pricing on five or more cards and free shipping, go to lovepop.com forward slash brain. I'm telling you, this is a great, great gift. lovepop.com forward slash brain. I want to thank the reviewer 1987 for their review of The Overwhelmed Brain book in Amazon. I appreciate when you take the time to review, even if the review is critical. I'm all about critical thinking. So thank you, 1987. And I wonder what that year means to you. <laughs> Let's see, 1987, I was like 17. Uh, I was driving my Ford LTD. I was skateboarding. I was in high school. I was dating. Uh, I wasn't dating yet. Oh, I didn't have a girlfriend yet. I was a late bloomer. Oh my God, all these personal details. You don't need to know. <laughs> but thank you, 1987. And I want to remind uh, you, if you buy a book and leave a review on Amazon, even if it's a bad review, I'll thank you on the air. And you'll be heard in over, what, 220 countries now? So check it out. I also want to share with you the feedback I'm getting on the mean workbook. Just today, someone shared with me that their score wasn't as high as they thought it would be. They'd experienced a lot of manipulation, but apparently it wasn't as bad as it could be. Now, the reason I tell you this is because it made her think, hmm, Maybe I'm mistaking my partner's actions for manipulation. But I made sure she realized that even though her score could have been much higher, that doesn't mean she should discount all the manipulation that the workbook highlighted. And that's vital. Just because you don't match the deepest level of manipulation possible, it doesn't mean that you are interpreting it wrong. It just means that some people have it a lot worse. In fact, I heard from one person who took the mean test who had a hundred more items checked than the person I just mentioned. That doesn't mean one is being manipulated and the other isn't. It just means that there are variances in the degree and depth of manipulation. So just know that almost any relationship can experience manipulation, even unintentionally. So if you find your relationship difficult and you want to understand just what might be happening with you and your partner, get the mean workbook. Visit theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash mean, M-E-A-N. 
You might be surprised by your score. When you just can't seem to articulate what's happening in your relationship, the mean workbook spells it out for you clearly. And when you know what's happening, you're empowered to make the next right decision for you and your partner. TheOverwhelmedBrain.com forward slash mean. And I want to thank members of the patron program. They support this show. They keep us going along with those who use the Amazon link at TheOverwhelmedBrain.com. If you want to show your support, you can go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com or use the Amazon link at theoverwhelmedbrain.com every time you shop. Now with the patron program, you know, you get those extra private episodes. I have almost like 70 in there as of this recording now. So if you've not been over there, there's like a, a lot more overwhelmed brain content that you are missing. So go check it out. There's also free workbooks and uh, even email coaching if you want to go that route. So check it out, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. It's a way to give and get back. So thanks to all of you. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And just a final thought on dichotomous thinking. You know, that black and white thinking, that all or nothing mentality. There's no gray area. It's just this or that. You know, I read something recently about um, narcissists, where the narcissist will have this kind of thinking where if you're not in agreement with their will and their values, then you are the enemy. And I think that's important to remember that when we ourselves, if you're not narcissistic, and you're probably not if you're listening to this show, at least not to the degree I'm talking about, uh, if you go in the direction of dichotomous thinking, of absolutes, like all or nothing, or Everyone always says this, or no one ever does that. Any type of generalization, remember, they're generally lies. They are the general lies we tell ourselves to support a point that may or may not be true. When you give no room for gray areas, uh, you set yourself up for the, I don't know, the perfectionist syndrome. I mean, that could be one direction this could go. Because I think my friend Austin said this perfectly. He goes, perfectionists are those people that continue to plan until things are perfect before they move. And then there are the action takers who sometimes move without planning. And he goes, I'll give you one guess who gets things done more often. That's how I see it, is that the people who take action even before they're ready, even before it's perfect are the ones who learn faster, get things done, get results, and are usually more successful. Whereas the perfectionists are still in the planning stage. A lot of them are. And, you know, I dealt with that myself. Perfectionism can be an emotional disease where you think, if I'm not perfect, then I'll be judged. I'll be deemed less worthy. Uh, People won't like me if I come out with something that's not perfect. And uh, I tell you what, I've learned that if I wait for something to be perfect, it will never get done because I'll always find something to make it more perfect. And so that is, it's like a, like a psychological block and almost could be seen as a delay tactic, not for everyone. I mean, some people have uh, self-worth and self-esteem issues that if they come up with something that's less than perfect, then they feel like they'll be judged. Then I'm here to say, accept the risk and come out with something that's not perfect. do your thing before it's perfect unless you know you're a nuclear physicist and you're dealing with uh, splitting atoms and things like that Uh, you know what I mean 
I'm talking about people who take day after day after week after week after month after month talking about something and planning something that doesn't necessarily take that long for other people. I'm not trying to compare you to anyone else, and I'm not saying that what you're doing doesn't require planning. I'm just saying that if you are so stuck on every single detail that it's not ready until it's perfect, often it will delay you to the point where it won't get done and maybe to the point where you actually get burnt out. I mean, that used to happen to me. I would perfect, perfect, perfect until I got burnt out what I was perfecting and I didn't want to do it anymore, so all that time was wasted. It's like my friend Justin who shops on Christmas Eve for all his Christmas gifts. <laughs> there's no choice. There's no perfectionism whatsoever. He has no choice but to take action and to do whatever it takes to get it done. I kind of like that mentality, even though it's highly stressful, <laughs> is that you put yourself in a situation where there is a deadline and perfectionism is going to have to take a back seat because in order to get it out the door, just like with the mean workbook, I made myself a deadline even though I knew I wasn't going to be ready. And at midnight on the day of the deadline, I had five minutes left to go over it once more, turn it into a PDF, upload it, and make it available for the general public. And I tell you what, without that deadline, it wouldn't have happened. I would have taken another week. I would have taken another month. It took me a year to come out with it in the first place. And here I was delaying and delaying and delaying again, thinking that it needed more. And to tell you the truth, it does need more. It always needs more. I'm going to continue adding to it. What I have now is super valuable, but I'm going to continue adding to it and re-uploading the uh, updated version. You know, And if you bought it, I'll let you know there's an updated version so you can download that. Uh, it's coming. But that's the point, is that you put it out there and then you modify as needed. I know that doesn't work with every single thing in life. But the perfectionists tend to think that if it's not perfect, it's not worth anything. And that's just not true. I mean, that would be like um, spilling milk on the floor and thinking, well, I don't want to clean up the milk because then I'll have to clean up the whole kitchen. So I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> Hopefully you don't do that. But, you know, that's kind of the mentality that I picture is that perfectionists will wait and plan and wait till the right moment. Uh, instead of just cleaning up one spot, even though the rest of the kitchen might have stains they have to deal with, at least that one spot is clean. That's 1% more than you had last time. And that might be a bad example. Sorry. <laughs> but it goes along with dichotomous thinking in the sense that when you think in terms of black and white and you give no room for gray areas, you tend to be less forgiving of yourself and others. You tend to have a very closed view of certain things. You tend to be very limited in your perspective because you only choose to see it one of two ways. And it took a long time for me to get out of black and white thinking and into a place of there are so many variables with every single thing in life that if I'm a black and white thinker, then I will make way too many assumptions. Like if I ask a girl out and she says no, my assumption might be that I'm a bad person and I'm ugly and I smell and I'm just not uh, very fun to be around. All these assumptions because of my black and white thinking instead of thinking of, well, what's a gray area? A gray area may be that she's seeing someone. A gray area may be that she's just not interested in tall blonde guys. 
A gray area may be that she's gay. <laughs> I don't know. A gray area may be that she doesn't want to date anyone and wants to be single for a while. Who knows? All those gray areas give me the freedom to stop judging myself. And I like that. That makes me feel better. If you do that, maybe it'll make you feel better too. If not, then let me ask you to just keep your mind open. That will allow you to step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all of that, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. <music>